I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. Today, as ever, I am joined from London by my co-host Joe, and we are both delighted to have a special guest with us as well. They're based in Scotland, where today's guest has made a name for herself in the world of football media as a contributor to the A Celtic State of Mind podcast. Not to be completed with the 2009 hit single Empire State of Mind, this award-winning Celtic podcast is less about Jay-Z and more about Jan Venegur of Hesseling. So, here to talk about all things Celtic with us is Natasha Meikle. Natasha, welcome to the United Mates Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And how are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. We're thrilled to have you with us. Joe, joining us from London, as usual. How are you doing? I'm good, Kai. Um, it's been the nicest, well, the sunniest day in London all, of all year today. So, you know, that's that's always good. Um, and yeah, Natasha, obviously, it's great to... Um, to have you with us as well and we always start our podcasts um, with an icebreaker question for our guests so obviously we've got one for you so um we've noticed on twitter that um there's a picture of you at an irish pub in copenhagen which is apparently scandinavia's biggest pub which is um quite impressive so um on the the topic of kind of weird places to find regional things and Given that we uh, more often than not seemingly manage to talk about food in our icebreakers, we wanted to ask you, what is the least authentic dish or meal that you've had? Do you know what? I am actually going to go back to to Copenhagen with this one um, because you're right. um, There was an Irish bar in Copenhagen where I spent a significant amount of my time in Copenhagen. Um, So obviously I was over for for the football when we were playing um, in Europe at the time, two years ago now. Um, And we had a lovely hotel that was on the corner of an Irish pub and a Scottish pub and a Burger King. And the Irish pub was open 24 hours. So there's all these lovely cultural restaurants in Copenhagen. And I am actually not that ashamed to admit that the majority of our evenings there um, the food option was a Burger King on the way home from the 24-hour Irish bar um, rather than sampling some of Copenhagen's finer delicacies. So I'll probably go with that one as my least authentic um, culinary experience while traveling. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I've definitely, on my travels abroad, been to quite a few McDonald's and Burger King, so I'm, I'm with you with that. But um, <laughs> I guess another well, least authentic thing. I, it actually comes from LA where Kaitel lives. And I remember going to the ye old King's Head pub, which was meant to be like a sort of classic British pub. And it was just the worst imitation I'd ever seen. It was a great pub and Tottenham one who I support when I went there, but that wasn't very authentic. But Kai, how about you? What is the least authentic dish or meal that you've had? I think, was that place so non-authentic that didn't our good friend get very sick from eating like a crumble? 
Yeah, Adam did. Yeah, yeah, that did happen. Yeah, yeah that's the quality, the quality of food that, that we go for. But no, at the end of um, my first year at uni, I actually backpacked around Europe with a friend. And this was like a trip full of unauthentic food. We were kind of bowling on a budget. So we valued quantity and cheapness over quality and authenticity. I think some of the regrettable meals we had in Poland was Chinese food. Uh, we did all you can eat sushi in Berlin. And eventually they just started serving us like rice and cucumber rolls because we were eating all of their fish and they just wanted to get rid of us. And then in Amsterdam, even, you know, when in Rome or when in Amsterdam, you do what you do. And in the, you know, clouded judgment state that I was in and with a bad case of the munchies, I managed to spend like, I think, 25 quid on uh, the most Americanized self-serve yogurt place in all of the Netherlands. So I think I'm probably sounding like the biggest sucker for, for these types of meals. But moving away from some of our least authentic meals that we've had and taking things back to football and all the way back to your childhood, Natasha, how is it that you came to be a football fan in the first place and how was it that Celtic became your team? Well my dad really, um, it's got to be my dad. Um, I don't ever really rem remember making a choice to like football or to be a Celtic fan. Um, I'm sure most Celtic fans will tell you that it's just simply a way of life. If your dad is a Celtic fan you're a Celtic fan so there's never going to be any other option for me and I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, I know that he introduced us to football at a young age and you know I've never looked back and um, we grew up supporting this club and um, so I'm a twin I have a twin sister and um, so much to my mother's dismay the two of us grew up um, from a very young age being absolutely football mad and um, going to Celtic Park with my dad for as long as we can remember um, and it's you know it's great there's just something special about you know sitting in your seat at Celtic Park with your family um, and it's such a cliche but it does you know it feels like home and it's got this special feeling about it and um, so really as long as I can remember it's been football and Celtic for me. It's nice to hear that it's a family affair and even better that you have a twin I'm a twin myself although I'm kind of the football crazy one in the family. <laughs> um, he is I guess by default an Arsenal fan like myself and you started to touch on it about kind of how special it is going to the games with your family and whatnot. But I wanted to know beyond just wanting Celtic to win every game and maybe outside of your family as well, what does it mean personally to you to be a Celtic fan in its very essence? You know, that's that's hard for me to put into words um, better than, than someone else has probably, probably done it. And I, when I ask that question, I think back to something that um, the late great Tommy Burns said. Um, and he said, when you're playing for Celtic, you're playing for a people and you're playing for a cause. And I think that transfers to being a supporter as well. It really feels like you're part of a collective, that you're part of a cause, that you're part of a group of people whose beliefs and desires just completely align with your own. Um, and there's nothing better than being, you know, in a Celtic park with 60,000 people who, who you feel are like you, who are like an extended family. So I've made some amazing friends, you know, through football and um, some people who I would class as you know my best friends I've met through my love for Celtic and I think it's that sort of thing that it can that it can do for you it can enhance your life like that um, I'm certainly grateful for for football and for the club. Well Celtic has such a passionate fan base and it's such a iconic team it's not a surprise you know even you might have been you've come into it for your family but it, you know it's a it's a passion supporting a football club and no more so when it's Celtic. But let's, um, let's talk a bit about the podcast you're a part mm. of and the award-winning A Celtic State of Mind podcast. So obviously Celtic's a well-supported team. There's a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of Celtic podcasts out there. But what, um, what is it that you think about A Celtic State of Mind that really, um, I guess, 
connects with Celtic fans? Why, why do you think it does so well? I think it's just because of the authenticity. Um, it is just a group of Celtic fans, normal Celtic fans talking about Celtic. You know, I think people can relate to that. It's something that we all do anyway. Um, you know, so even before I was part of the podcast, I would spend significant proportions of my days and my weeks talking to my friends about Celtic. And that's kind of the atmosphere we try and create on the show, is that very similar to this, we just have a couple of people, authentic Celtic fans, who just want to talk about Celtic. And I feel like everyone can relate to us. Their opinion doesn't always have to align with ours. On the show, our opinions don't always align with each other's. Um, and I think it's that which which interests people. And it's also, you know, we get to, we get onto the real issues that the fans care about. I think for me, one of the one of the drawbacks I see when I'm watching more mainstream media is these shows tend to go to ex-players or pundits to talk about how the fans feel about the club. You know, talk to the fans. You know, it's, it's better talking to the fans about that. The fans want to hear from, from people who think like them. And I think that's why fan media is really on the rise and is just becoming significantly more popular. We, you know, we've seen it ourselves in our own show. Um, you know, every month this year so far, over the course of the month, we've, we've hit over a million viewers. And, you know, that's just, that's been incredible for us. And, you know, I do have to say, I think, I think, you know, there's no denying it, there's been a downturn in Celtic this season. I think the downturn in form and the downturn in luck does tend to attract a bigger audience. Um, for whatever reason, people, people like misery. Um, but I think when people are so frustrated at something and are feeling so aggrieved or downheartened by something, they, you know, can take something from tuning in to other people who feel the same about that, the same as they do. And it's like a an outlet really for, for their frustrations. Um, so no, the show's going from strength to strength and it, it's been it's been really great. Fantastic. And yeah, I mean, there's some element of catharsis maybe when things aren't going well, everyone can tune in or <laughs> the guys on the podcast, you can all you can all vent your frustrations together. And you know what, if people want to listen to that, then great. And you know, hopefully for Celtic fans sake soon, it will be a bit more positive. I'm sure. I it hope will. so. Yeah. I'm sure it will. But um, aside from the podcast, well, actually, it could be connected to it. Recently, Natasha, you appeared on Sky Sports News, which um, for people in the sort of fan media world, football media world, whatever, you know, it's um, it's definitely something everyone wants to tick off their football media bucket list is appearing on um, the, the famous Sky Sports News. But what, um, what I want to know, Natasha, is, is there anything in your kind of football media work you haven't done so far that you'd like to do and almost would consider a dream to do? Oh my goodness, absolutely. Um, I look at people like, um, you know, some ex-professionals like Shelley Kerr or Leanne Crichton, you know, perhaps the equivalent of, you know, your Alex Scott or Karen Carney down south and think, you know, I'd love to do that. And obviously, you know, that's absolute reaching for the stars, but why not? Um, you've got to start somewhere uh, like they did from their ex-professional career and then moving into, into that world. Why not? Um, it's been it's been brilliant getting the experience on on our podcast and then you know Sky Sports BBC things like that has been really great experience and yeah I'd certainly love to do more. Well, we uh, we we hope to be seeing you on our screens more in future. But um, we do have um, a game for you now, Natasha, and it's actually one of our favourite games on the on the podcast. It's called Who Are You? Mm. And the way it works is I will. Um, I will, well, you, you're gonna, you and Kaitel together are going to have to try and guess the name of a mystery player. There's going to be three in total. And um, I'm going to start by giving you a clue. And then the two of you 
can ask me as many questions as you want until um, we work out who the mystery player is. Um, they're all going to be um, Celtic players today, so that is, that's the that is one thing I'll say. But for um, for the first player, my clue is this player only ever made twenty five league appearances for Celtic. What nationality? He is Scottish. Ah. Was this at the beginning, like it was his boyhood club and then he came through and then he left? Or was it towards the end of his career that he played for them? He had one club before them, but it, yeah, it was at the, at the start of his career he was playing for them. Hmm. Is he a striker? Yes, he is a striker. Okay. He, a, a clear I'll give you, he, he does play in the Scottish League right now, but not for Celtic, obviously. I have something in my head. Did he play for Hibs? No, he didn't. But he did play for their rivals on loan. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> Drawing a blank on this. I was going to say Derek Reardon. No, I, I, I wish I'd brought up Derek Reardon, but no, it's not him. Um, we have I, a decade. Let's try and narrow it down to a decade. If he's playing right now, you said, it must have been relatively recently. Yes. So he, um, he joined Celtic 10 years ago and left in... 2014 so that's the kind of that's his celtic um career time hmm. one more clue he's um he's remembered he's there, there's an iconic moment um that features him and it's probably what celtic fans will remember him for i'd imagine um tony watt tony watt that is correct yeah the he of course scored um against barcelona in a two-one win. I mean, Natasha, what what were your thoughts on Tony? What after that goal went in, were you were you expecting big things from him? Yes, actually, um, everyone thought that he was now going to be the next big Scottish player, and to be honest, it was probably too much pressure for him at the time. Um, at the time that we played Barcelona, we had a lot of injuries. Um, you know, I remember, you know, even our striker who started that game normally wouldn't have. Um, and Tony Watt was thrown in probably out of his depth as a bit of a, a time-wasting sub towards the end. And all of a sudden, one misplaced or a misheader, a misclearance, and, he, and he's through and he scores this goal, um, having really done relatively little for the club before that. Um, a huge amount of pressure on the shoulders of a, of a young player, and he probably didn't quite reach the potential that the fans then expected of him. But had it not been for that goal, then, you know, that pressure and that expectation wouldn't have been there. Um, so I feel a bit sorry for him in a sense, because I think that every interview that he then goes on to do, he gets asked about scoring this goal against Barcelona. And I think he, he'd quite like to move away from that. Yeah, no no doubt. Funnily enough, he was he was playing in Bulgaria recently for CSK Sofia and he's he's had a few spells in Belgium as well. So, he's had a he's had a good career, if not maybe not as good a career as he would have liked at Celtic. But let's do um the second one now. And this um clue is that this player never won the league for Celtic, but he has been the top scorer in the SPL. I have an idea of this one. Has he played for Arsenal? He hasn't played for Arsenal, no. Who are you thinking of out of interest? Anthony Stokes, but he's probably won the league, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Oh, well, what, what I'll say, just so you don't... It, it, we're, we're going a bit back in time for this one. Um, yeah, not too far, but we're talking like 90s kind of vibe. Oh. I'm trying to remember, they had some like international footballers in their team back then. Are we go for a nationality to help out? 
Yes, of course. This, I don't know if this will give it, well, might give it away for you, Natasha, maybe not for Kai, but he is Dutch. I mean, I said Jan Venegar of Hesslink at the beginning of the show, but that wasn't in the 90s. That was later. He, um, let me see if I can help. He, he's Dutch. He won the UEFA Cup with a Dutch side in the early noughties. That might. Did, um, was it Pierre, did Pierre van Hooydonk play for Celtic? Yeah. He did, and that, that is the answer. Um, I didn't, um, I wasn't aware that he did, but Natasha, do you have fond memories of him? It sounds like it was a, a sort of a good spell for him, but quite controversial at points. I don't know what your memories of Pierre van Hooydonk are. Slightly, he was slightly, um, I don't want to say before my time, but I was still very young um, when he was playing for Celtic. Um, it wasn't a great period for Celtic. Um, so yeah, maybe slightly before my time, but looking back on the videos, great goal scorer, um, just part of probably not a great period for the club and not the best squad. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, he got he got top scorer, but didn't he? He won the League Cup apparently, but that was it um, during his time at Celtic Park. Yeah, it's a long time to go at Celtic for them <laughs> not not winning significantly amount. I know. <laughs> well, I've got one player left, but actually I don't have one player left because there are two people that could kind of qualify for this. So the clue is this player or these players have, aside from playing um, Celtic, of course, they have played in mainland Europe, Asia and North America. Oh. And there's two players that I can think of. There might be more. But... Hmm. Celtic, mainland Europe, and North America. And Asia as well. And Asia. I know, all over the place. Crazy, isn't it? It's the it's the MLS part that's kind of yeah. throwing me off a bit. Um, I'll help you both out. There's one of these guys is a defender and one of these guys is a striker. Gary Hooper comes to mind as someone who's recently played in the MLS, but I can't think of him being in mainland Europe. No, I think yeah, you're right there. I don't think he was mainland Europe. He's in India right now, actually. There you go. You've sort of stumbled across something because for both of these players, their time in Asia is in the, the Indian um, Premier League, I think. What about Darren O'Day? Oh, you've got one of them. That yeah. is great. That is, yeah, Darren O'Day. I didn't know he's this. Canada, that. right? Yeah, he played for Toronto FC, but then and he played for Mumbai City FC. But then he also... And this is the weirdest one. He played for not Shakhtar Donetsk, but Metalur Donetsk. They don't even exist anymore. They went bust, I think, when he was there. Um, but yeah, Darren O'Day, what, what a, a crazy career he had in many ways. So that's... Um, really? Yeah, that's one of them. And then um, I won't spend too long the final one, but um, he, he's got a close place in my heart, this player, because he played for Spurs for a long time. So that might narrow it down a little bit. Striker. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, Robbie Keane. Yeah, Robbie Keane. Oh, he, uh, first, he's been at many clubs. <laughs> he has. And then, yeah, Inter Milan in his early days. Obviously, he had a great spell at LA Galaxy. And then he ended his career, actually, at Atletico de Kolkata, <laughs> which oh. I didn't do, but there we go. So, yeah, that is, um, that's who are you today. And so, yeah, interesting. Ooh, I like that. Good. Um, yeah, yeah, some Celtic players of the past. I think that was even in the end, probably two apiece between myself and Natasha. Yeah. Not, not that we usually have, like, a winner, but... Moving on to a bit more Celtic chat and, you know, Natasha, you've referred to it already um, as we've been recording that the club's going through a bit of a relatively tough time. 
they've missed out on the league title for the first time in a decade. And that's a trophy that they've properly monopolized since the turn of the millennium, having won it 15 times in the last 20 campaigns. So from the outside, it's all been a bit surprising what's going on up in Scotland this season. But Natasha, in your condensed opinion, because I'm sure there's a lot to say on the matter, what went wrong for Celtic? Has this downturn in fortunes been a long time coming? Or have the clubs sort of like wheels fallen off the wagon only more recently? I think the the last part sums it up. I think the wheels have just come off. Um, It was such a strong, successful machine for so long. And I know that there perhaps isn't the awareness, um, you know, sort of widely. But this 10 in a row season was massive to the Celtic fans. Um, Both Rangers and Celtic have previously won nine in a row. No one has ever done 10 in a row. And the Celtic fans have been building up to this for years. It was our best chance to secure 10 in a row. Um, And obviously the fact that it's not happened has been devastating. Um, But in terms of what went wrong with the issues, I could genuinely talk all day about it. Um, But the biggest issue really does seem to have been mismanaging maybe complacency from top to bottom I mean ultimately the board appointed the wrong manager the manager failed to effectively coach the team and the team's performances weren't even close to what we required so collective failure for me um, and a really disastrous season from what was it meant to be a season when we were history making so yeah like we've touched on so disappointing this season well while we're on the subject, you've brought up the kind of um, 10 in a row, and it's something that Rangers and Celtic have, have come close to on a couple of occasions, but it hasn't happened yet. So I don't mean to twist the knife just for the sake of it, but you know, as it is your biggest rivals, Rangers, who have dethroned Celtic, how has that made you feel as a fan? I guess you're pretty used to it in the sense that it's typically one or the other that wins the league, but it must hurt when it's you know your most bitter of rivals who've, who've pipped you to, well, at least stopped you from getting this 10th title in a row. It does. Yeah, it's horrible. And I think, you know, there is an element, you know, the fans, the Celtic fans get called spoiled and we're, you know, entitled and things like that. But there is an element that we are used to winning this title. We've had our own way in Scotland for nine years now. Um, You know, for the last four seasons, we've won every single trophy there is to go for. We are not used to not winning. And there's a whole generation of Celtic fans, a lot younger than me, who only know winning. Um, So... For, for us to see for the first time in such a long period um, the Rangers fans lift the trophy is is hard um, and it's certainly hard for the fans so I hope it ignites that fire amongst the club to, to not see it happen again next season um, and get the, the momentum swinging back in the other direction. I guess um, one of the really important things that's going to get the momentum um, going back in the right direction is um, the choice of the next manager to really set the tone for the next um, the next few seasons, and there's um, there's obviously given that you know John Kennedy's the caretaker at the manager uh, at the moment. There's been a lot of speculation about who will go next. You just have to look at um, the odds, and it looks like Eddie Howe is um, one of the front runners. But then you've got the likes of um, other Premier League recent sort of casualties in terms of Chris Wilder and Frank Lampard being linked, and then quite an interesting one is um, the um, sort of elite. Um, academy manager at Man City, Enzo Maresca is a name mm. that is being thrown about as well. Natasha, from your perspective, who do you um, want to see take the reins at Celtic Park and why? For me, I'd like to see how take it. Um, there's, out of the list of candidates that are in the list of names that get bandied about, um, I think he's what I would call the safest option. A lot of the other names on those 
lists are a bit risky for me. Don't get me wrong, I like the idea of Maresca. I like the idea of him coming under a director of football. There's a lot of been talk about um, Man City's Fergal Harkin coming in as a director of football with perhaps a head coach like Maresca working underneath him. And I like the idea. I think it's quite modern. I think it sort of, you know, tries to emulate the setup of a lot of, you know, successful European football teams. And Maresca is someone who's worked with, you know, some of the best talent in, in the country in that Man City under 23 squad. But it's, that's a risk. You know, he's never worked first team before. Um, he's relatively untested that, you know, a first, well, he is untested at a first team level. He's been assistant manager a few different places, but as manager, he's untested. Um, and Celtic have a lot at stake this season. They need to they need to get this right. Um, and for me, Howe has the experience, the credentials, that he's the most risk-free approach. So, I'd like to see the club go for him. I think he might be stalling, considering some options still in the Premier League um, down in England. But I hope that the club can make Celtic an attractive enough option to, to attract someone like Eddie Howe. Um, you know, there's the European football angle. Celtic's a massive club. You know, this job doesn't come up often. Um, and he just has to look at the success of someone like Brendan Rodgers, who's come up to Scotland, managed Celtic, and went down to a very successful career. So, again, in in England. So if Celtic can make an attractive option to someone like Eddie Howe, then I'd, I'd like to see him come up to the club. Yeah, Eddie had um, quite a high ceiling for himself, seemingly at one point um, when he was the Bournemouth manager. You think mm -hmm. maybe with the resources and the kind of, you know, guarantee to finish at least second, basically in the, in the league that he might, he might, you know, be able to do something special up there. But sticking with leadership, and it's recently been announced that longstanding club captain Scott Brown is set to leave Celtic after something like 14 years with the club and he's going to join Aberdeen now in what you might presume to be the final chapter of his playing career. I think he's 35 years old. Um, so on the likes of club legends like Scott Brown and even former manager Neil Lennon, who of course was a player for Celtic as well, did these guys overstay their welcome at Celtic? It sounds like certainly Lennon did, but were the club and the fans kind of responsible somewhat for being too caught up in the memories and the nostalgia of their glory days? Do you think you should have parted company with both of them sooner than you have? There's certainly, with Lennon, I think there's certainly an element of, you know, sentiment there that, that we held on to for too long. Um, when Lennon, you know, came, when Lennon was actually appointed after the cup final two seasons ago, um, the majority of the fans were disappointed. Um, you know, Rogers had just walked out on us essentially, and Lennon came in to sort of steer the ship to the end of the season. Um, nobody expected him to get the job on a full-term basis after that. And the fact that he did was disappointing to the fans. You know, we wanted another manager of the calibre of Brendan Rogers in, um, not, not a caretaker manager who'd just been sacked by Hibs. Um, but you know, it was Neil Lennon, he was a club hero, people got behind him. Um, and I'm I feel sorry for him that he's significantly tarnished his reputation at the club by staying as long as he did. He'll now ultimately be the manager that didn't achieve 10 in a row. Um, and the fans blame him for that. And I think, I think you know, over time, um, that feeling will diminish and history might look back on him more fondly than the fans do now. Um, but on the other hand, if we're taking Scott Brown, I think it's a slightly different story. Um, the majority of fans actually want Scott Brown to stay. Um, his performances on the pitch have been 
diminishing they have um, he's not at the level he used to be and he certainly doesn't spend the amount of time on the pitch as he used to like you say he's 35 um, but as a club captain and um, for someone who gets the club for someone who's passionate and committed to the club I don't know if I know a better captain than Scott Brown and I'm not sure we'll get a better captain than Scott Brown um, and I think my wish would have been for the club to found him a role for next season. He's obviously he's out of contract, but I think he could have done the job for another year or so, um, maybe limited time on the pitch. But that sort of presence in the dressing room and around the club is going to be hugely missed. You know, Celtic are about to go through a massive rebuild of a summer. Um, the CEO has been replaced, the manager has been replaced, the majority of the squad will be replaced, and now we need to replace the captain as well. Um, so for me, it would have been beneficial to hold on to Brown to sort of be that person of stability over, over a summer rebuild. Um, unfortunately, he is moving on to Aberdeen. He is um, he is moving on to Aberdeen, but I guess his legacy has been pretty good. Shame for him how it's ending. But um, I guess you were saying earlier with Lennon, it was, you know, it was, a, it was the wrong decision to bring him back. But I guess with the players, some decisions this summer are going to have to be made about some of the, you know, players like Christopher Ayer, who I know that um, you've spoken about how Celtic need to keep him. There's obviously um, Karamoko Dembele, much younger, but he seems to always be in the media and is seen as this incredible talent. But then there's people like Odson Edward as well, who um, seemingly, you know, a bit like when Moussa Dembele was at Celtic, feels like he could go really far in um, in Europe. So um, I guess to this to this point over the last few years, how have Celtic been kind of managing their best assets? And going forward, is I know you said you need to keep IA. Is it has it got to the point where there needs to be a reset with the squad and whoever comes in almost you need to get some money available and rebuild? Or is it a case of when you have someone as good as IA, you you just you need to keep them and almost build the squad around someone like him? It's difficult because I think you need to strike the right balance. Um and you know, last summer, um, we thought it was, you know, so important that we held on to some of our key players. We thought it was going to be massively important to hold on to players like Encham, Edward, Christie. Then over the course of the season, these players are getting very criticised for down tools. They wanted their move. So once a player starts to want their move, their performance levels might drop. And we had far too many players like that this season. So I think you have to get the timing right when it comes to players like that. Um, and... Celtic's model, in a way, um, hinders us because our model is that we either bring in younger players, develop them and sell them for a profit, or we buy players um, from more obscure markets, develop them and then sell them for a higher fee. So for the majority of the players who are playing in the squad, Celtic isn't a destination, it's a stepping stone to a higher level. And I think that's what sets Celtic apart in the Scottish League, is that the players that we have in the squad have the ability and you know, the the desire to, to further their career in, in better leagues. You just have to look at players like Tierney and Wanyama and Van Dyke and Dembele. And that's the sort of model that Celtic are, are sort of working with. Um, so when you do have players of the quality of Edward, and you always have to be prepared for the fact that they are going to move on. Um, and it just so happens this season it really does feel like it's all going to happen at once. Um, from, from the team who started the last Glasgow derby, it's very realistic that only three of them will be at the club next season. Um, 
And that's quite concerning because if you've got that many people going out the door, you're going to have to bring that amount of people in the door. So there's a big rebuild needed over the summer in terms of the squad. And we currently don't have a manager in place to do it. So it's a bit concerning for Celtic fans at the moment. You know, it's something like 80 days until the first Champions League qualifier. Um, and there's a lot of work to be achieved by the club between now and then. Gosh, yeah, I mean, it's... Um interesting times for Celtic but um, that's um, we're going to end actually with a kind of we're going to we're going to talk about some of the better Celtic players of well since the 21st century began and we're going to compile a a Celtic 11 Um, so we'll start with the goalkeepers and we've got a few options for you so we've got Rab Douglas Craig Gordon, Arthur Burrich, Fraser Forster, and good old Magnus Hedman as well. Is there um, a goalie out of those people, Natasha, that you um, have you, you're particularly fond of, or you you want to select in the team? Oh, with honourable mentions to Rad Douglas, who I thought was brilliant growing up, and Fraser Forster, who's an excellent goalkeeper. I can't see past Arthur Burrich. Um, he is an all-time favourite of the Celtic fans, an absolute cult hero. Um, hated by the Rangers fans and, and loved by the Celtic fans even more. So I'll have to go with Arthur Boric. Good choice. And yeah, it's always it's always extra sweet when the player you love is hated by the opposition fans. <laughs> um, Kai, would you have um, would you have gone with Boric or would you have had a, another option there? I'll go with Boric. There's something about these Polish goalkeepers. Szczesny also was a bit of a character when he was at, at the club. Mm. So yeah, and, and we had Fabianski too. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll keep it in Poland with Boric. Cool. Good choice. Good choice. So um, we'll move on to right backs now. And we've got a load of them, actually. We've got Didier Agat, Paul Caddis, Adam Matthews, Paul Telfer, Hinkle, Lustig, Jeremy Fringpong, and last but certainly not least, Mark Wilson. Natasha, who who out of that quite long list of players, who, who's screaming out to you to take that right back spot? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, there's a few good players in there and a few not so good players in there. Um, I think if I was thinking of a Celtic right back to go into that squad, I might go with Jackie McNamara, who is not on that list, um, but certainly an excellent right back. But from your list, um, again, purely for the commitment and love by the Celtic fans, I'll go with Michael Listig. Um, was he the most talented right back we've ever seen at the club? He was not, um, but he was an absolute leader on the pitch um, and gave 110% in every game. Um, so I'll go with Michael Lustig. Great. Good for Lustig. And yeah, sorry, Jackie, we um, we didn't mean to miss you out. But there <laughs> we go. Um, we've now got to pick two centre-backs. Um, so I'll break it into two. So the f- first few names, we've got Caldwell, Bobo Balde, Van Dyke, <laughs> Malby, McManus and Mastorovic. Um, out of those ones, Natasha and Kai, who would you maybe choose out of yeah, those names I've just mentioned? I would, for silly reasons, almost be tempted to throw Mastorovic in there because he reminds me of Tyson Fury in a lot of ways. He's just like this big, intimidating <laughs> guy. I don't think I would want to play against him if, if I was a striker. But talent-wise, maybe I'm jumping ahead of myself. I guess probably Virgil van Dijk out of those names. What do you think, Natasha? Yeah, it's hard to see past, you know, someone who was one of the best players in the world a couple of seasons ago. But um, an absolute no-nonsense centre-half. Um, exactly what we need at the moment. Um, would love to find the next Mjolby. Um, yes, yeah, so I'll go for Johan. Nice. 
Very good. And then um, we've got a few more. We've got Varga, we've got Aya, we've got F.A. Ambrose and Dedrick Boyata as well. So who out of those guys is going to partner um, Mialbi? I think our two, sele I think our selection of um, Mialbi and Van Dyke would probably be the one. But if we're going to, if we're going to give them a partner, um, Aya and Boyata quite similar, really. Um, recently, but Van Dyke played well with Boyata, so we'll go, we'll go with Boyata. If um, Man City's academy guy is going to come over to to Celtic, then yeah, maybe a former a former Man City player deserves a place in the team. So we'll give it to Dedrick, I guess. Nice, good old Dedrick. Um, as <laughs> say, left backs. There have been some great left backs for Celtics. Um, we've got Izagire, um Tierney, who obviously don't like these days. Now he's at Arsenal. Uh, Mulgrew, Lee Naylor. Um, I mean, yeah, who, who out of those guys is um, who's getting? I think I know Kaitel's answer, but Natasha, what? what who <laughs> you uh, I have to agree with Kaitel. It's going to have to be Tierney. Um, again, you know, for a lot of younger fans, Tierney was their cult hero. Um, it was absolutely epitomised having a fan on the pitch. Um, he was one of us, um, getting to live everyone's dream and play for Celtic. Um, the fans loved him, he loved the fans and the only disappointment for me with Tierney was the fact that he left when he did um, I know you guys will be happy about, well not both of you, and Kaitel you'll be happy about that but you know he was still relatively young, he wasn't at Celtic for as long as I thought he could have been um, for it to be his lifetime ambition to play for Celtic, he could maybe have done it a little bit longer Kieran um, but yeah I thought he could have stuck around for another couple of seasons and still got that move to a club like Arsenal, um, but it's absolutely fantastic to to see him do so well for your club yeah he's so good he is like in my opinion in you know avoiding injuries and all that good stuff you look at luke shaw has actually somehow recently managed to come back from that leg break that he had although it looked like that might have derailed his career but yeah assuming that something like that doesn't happen to to tyranny i think he's going all the way if he was english he'd be england's left back i'm just trying to trying to claim him as our own but <laughs> he's he's brilliant yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. You know, the few times I've watched Arsenal, I think he's been the best player in the squad. Um, who knows if you hold on to him? Who knows where his limit is? Um, you know, he was, he was quite happy to leave his boyhood heroes, so he, he may also choose to move on from Arsenal. Who knows? I hope not. In which case, I would take back my answer and I would go for Well, I won't put that in your head already. <laughs> I, I want to shout out Izagire, though, who I did some research on. I didn't realise he played for you guys twice. He, like, came back because he loved it so much. He did. Um, I have never known a foreign player, you know, especially from someone, you know, from somewhere like Honduras to completely embrace not only, you know, the Celtic way of life, but the Glasgow way of life um, and love Scotland and love the club as much as Izaguiri did. Um, and of course, that completely endears the fans. We loved him right back. Um, again, he was absolutely fantastic his first couple of seasons. On his return, not quite the player he was, um, but the fans still still very much appreciated his love and commitment to the club. Yeah, good old uh, Emilio. I'm going to flip the script and have Joe choose some alongside you now. So we'll move on to the midfield. And I guess I'll start on the defensive end of the centre of midfield with names like Scott Brown, who we've chatted about, Victor Wanyama, and then we've got Paul Lambert, Neil Lennon, and uh, Baram Kael which sounds funny to name after I've just named Lambert and Lennon. But out of those five, Natasha, would you have a prominent defensive midfielder that gets Oh, that's such a test. You're giving me, you know, a, a Champions League winner in Paul Lambert there, um, who's obviously excellent, but I can't see past Scott Brown. Um, 
on his day, there is absolutely no match for him, even at 35 years of age. Um, he still, you know, pulled off a man of the match performance in the last Glasgow derby. Um, he's exactly the sort of player every team would love to have in their squad and would hate to have in the opposition. So I'm going to go with Scott Brown as my defensive midfielder. Yeah, again, like you said, another player who you wouldn't wouldn't really want to have to come up against in the middle of the park. Joe, Scott Brown, does he get the spot? He is Mr. Celtic, but I mean, I, I love Victor Wanyama. His first season at Spurs before he got injured, he was... Um, he was sensational, but um, no, you, I, I think we have to have Scott Brown in the Celtic team. I can't, I can't deny Natasha that. All right, so we got Scott in the middle, and then to partner him is another list of quite good names. To be fair, we got Stilian or Stan Petrov, Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, Ki Sung Young, Joe Ledley, Tom Rogic, uh, and Cham Olivia and Cham. I think Stefan Johansson, and then Callum McGregor. Natasha, again, if you want to go first, is there a more creative player who's going to sit alongside Scott Brown? Oh, you're asking me to choose between some greats there. Um, for me, it's going to have to come down to Nakamura or Petrov. Um, Nakamura, probably one of the best free kick t- takers in the world in his prime. Um, absolutely unreal. Um, but I think Stan's just going to have to pip him to the spot for me. Um, real quality player. He had everything, technique, um, his ability was outstanding. Sort of definition of a box-to-box midfielder so yeah I'm gonna go with Stan yeah it's a shame well I guess we did see him in the Premier League I was gonna say it's a shame we didn't see Nakamura in the Premier League of course we got Petrov at at Villa and he was fantastic there as well but Joe from your memories of either of those guys or anybody else who would you put in the midfield with Scott Brown I love Nakamura his free kicks were incredible and some of those Champions League ones and when he'd you know he'd smack it in and Celtic Park were up they were I remember watching those um, when I was younger but uh, yeah you know Petrov what a player as well and he's you know he's a real inspiration in many ways too but um, yeah you know either one of those I'd be happy with. Fair enough I think um, I don't know if I were to weigh it I'd probably just for the left foot right foot balance maybe swing it towards Nakamura alongside Brown but it's not up to me. <laughs> Moving on to the wingers, let's go on the right-hand side, which is a bit less options to pick from than the left, but I've got players like James Forrest, and then we've got Armstrong, and then Karamoko Dembele, a youngster with a lot more to come out of him, as well as Paddy McCourt, who I was always quite fond of. So, Natasha, who's your right midfielder? You're not giving me very great options there. Um, I think if I had to choose, I might move Nakamura onto the right and have them both, him and Petrov, in the squad. Um, but if I'm going to choose from what you've given me, God, I feel like I'm just choosing like cult heroes at the moment, but I might go for Paddy McCourt, um, a guy could, who could absolutely stroll it for 10 minutes, um, ask him to do 90, and it was maybe more of an issue. But there's, do you know, if I'm being honest, there's very few players I've seen play at Celtic Park with the technical ability of the ball at his feet than the McCourt. Um, the tricks, the skill he had was unparalleled. Um, but I think he had an absolutely amazing lifestyle, which didn't let him play longer than half an hour in most matches. So, you know, fair play to Paddy. Um, great over 30 minutes he was. Yeah, it sounds like he was the second coming of George Best, but like for 10 minutes or 30 minutes at a time only. Um, Joe, who's your right winger? <laughs> yeah, Paddy McCourt. I love him. I, I bought him on Football Manager once, ages ago, and he was great for me at Newcastle, I think it was too. So yeah, you know what, Paddy's getting in our team. He might just need to go on a few more runs and get fit. <laughs> 
I think Paddy will probably be quite pleased to, to hear that he's made it into our 21st century Celtic 11, although I think actually moving Nakamura in Petrov into the middle with Brown might be the, the smart move, as Natasha already mentioned. But moving on to the opposite flank, and I think there's some decent names in here. We've got Aidan McGeady, who's still tearing it up in England these days, Sean Maloney, um, then we've got was it Alan Thompson, probably he could have been either a left back or a left midfielder, maybe. Then Chris Commons, who had a brilliant spell with Celtic, Georgios Samaras as well, and Scott Sinclair. So there's quite a few names to choose from there. Natasha, who's going to make it into the left midfield spot? Mm, tough one. Yeah, we, we have had some good left midfielders over the years. And one thing we actually really are missing at the moment is a proper you know, left winger. Um, we've got young Mikey Johnson coming through who might be that slot, but that is really the position we're missing. Um, for me, I'm going to go for McGeady or Thompson. Um, I'm going to go for Thompson. Um, you know, when you've got players in his team like Larson and Sutton and Hartson, you need someone putting that ball in the box for them. And Thompson was that player. Um, his delivery was absolutely excellent and, you know, can be attributed to why the three of them scored as many goals as they did. Um, you know, maybe his contributions overlooked, but certainly in the run to Seville they had back, you know, sort of 2003 was really his absolute best for Celtic. Um, so while McGeady was excellent, Thompson's just going to get the nods for me. Yeah, you wouldn't want to give away many free kicks to a team that had Thompson and Nakamura in its lineup. <laughs> uh, Joe? Is Thompson your guy or is Aiden your boy? <laughs> um, I love Thompson um, I'm from when I was younger. Aiden, again, he was exciting. The guy who I think deserves a shout maybe is Scott Sinclair, just because um, obviously Brendan Rodgers came to Celtic um, and did so well. And I feel like it's certainly at the start of that um, Rodgers era anyway, Sinclair was a massive part of that. So um, I feel he deserves a mention as well. But you know what, for the nostalgia's sake, Alan Thompson, what, what a, yeah, what a left foot. So, yeah. Great. Yeah, I think even ended up playing for, for Leeds for a bit. He knows how to pick clubs with passionate supporter groups. Uh, moving on to the forwards. And uh, there's some good names in here. Uh, I'll start with, well, again, not my place to say, but probably the best name is Henrik Larsson. Moving on to John Hartson. We've got Musa Dembele, Chris Sutton, Jan Venegur of Hesslink, Lee Griffiths, Odson Edward, Kenny Miller, Gary Hooper, Scott McDonald, and Anthony Stokes. Natasha, if you want to name maybe both of them, and then Joe can give us two as well, because I, I reckon there's probably going to be one guy who would have made it into both of yours, but we'll see. I mean, of course it's got to be Henrik Larsson, doesn't there? Um, oh, a club legend, um, probably the best striker to have ever played at the club, um, and an absolute privilege to watch and to have had someone of his ability um, play for the club. So the first name on every great Celtic 11 is going to be Henrik Larson, so we're going to put him in there. Um, in terms of who I'm going to partner him with, I think I'll go for his partner. I think I'll go for Chris Sutton. Um, another absolutely outstanding striker, um, and him and Larson together, just a joy to watch. So I'd love to see them back together again. So that's what I'll go with. Yeah, they didn't do too badly the first time around. Uh, Joe, <laughs> how about you? Who are your forwards? Yeah, Larson, you can't look beyond him. What what a player. Um, absolute superstar. Did great at United in his brief spell there and also did really well at Barcelona too. Um, I don't know how, how well they'd work together, but Moussa Dembele um, really impressed me when he went to 
to Celtic and just immediately was brilliant and just looked, you know, like one of the, the best strikers that have been there for a while. And he's obviously, um, well, he's at Atletico Madrid now. I'm not sure how he's doing there, but he had a great spell at Leon recently too. And I'm yeah, very regretful Spurs didn't make him the second Moussa Dembele to play for Tottenham. I'm not gonna lie. But um, yeah, Sutton and Larson, it was a great partnership and it, it proved to be very good. But I just find Sutton a bit annoying on as a pundit, so I don't know if I can have him. So, yeah, maybe I'd, mine would be um, Larson and Moussa Dembele. I'm glad you said that, Joe, and not me, because I was thinking it about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he seems like a nice enough guy. Yeah, I'm sure there's a different opinion, obviously, being a Celtic fan. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a player. We love Chris Sutton. Um, does he say things for the sake of being controversial? Absolutely. Um, but has, is he saying them in favour of our club? Also, yes. So, so yeah, I, I have to. I do love Chris Sutton. Well, let's see then if we can kind of have a cumulative one. I know we named a bunch of names for a few of the positions, but definitely uh, Arthur Boric was our guy in goal. And then I think we probably, yeah, did a disservice to Jackie McNamara. So it's either him or Lustig at right back. The centre-backs are going to be any two of Van Dijk as well as um, Mialbi and Boyata at left back is Kieran Tierney until he leaves Arsenal and then it's Izagiri. <laughs> um, on the right-hand side of midfield, we got Paddy McCourt somehow. And then midfield partnership, Orshinsuki Nakamura of uh, either, yeah, Scott Brown, Nakamura or Petrov in the middle. On the left is Alan Thompson and then Henrik Larsson and either Chris Sutton or Musa Dembele, who I think unfortunately collapsed on the training ground for Atletico the other day. So hopefully he's all right and everything with that isn't going to be anything too kind of long-standing or, or an issue that's going to get in the way of his football but now that we've completed this 11 of brilliant footballers from Celtic from the 21st century I think that's about as much time as we have today so I want to say a thanks to Joe and then a special thanks to Natasha Meikle. Natasha it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast we hope you've enjoyed being our guest how can our listeners best follow you and keep up with all things a Celtic State of Mind podcast. Um, follow me on Twitter, um, just my name, Natasha Meikle, and follow our podcast. Um, we broadcast on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, um, you'll get the handle at Celtic State of Mind. Um, check us out, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, there's lots of different content on there, not just Celtic podcasts. Um, there's a variety of sport and non-sport podcasts. So check it out. There'll be something for everyone. Um, and drop us a message and, and let us know what you think. Awesome. Make sure you go ahead and check out those handles that Natasha left for you and check out a Celtic State of Mind podcast as well. Otherwise, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do follow our social media platforms. Consider giving us a follow too. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we are at UnitedMatesFP. There you'll be able to see when we post new podcasts, articles, and other content too if you feel like putting some faces to these voices you can find these podcasts on youtube just search for united mates football podcast don't forget to hit that subscribe button while you're there until next time take care of yourselves and take care of each other as well goodbye